Good morning, everyone. Why don't you join us for worship this morning? It's a beautiful morning to worship, amen. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your unconditional love, your unfailing love, God. You are so good to us. We love you.
We live for you. 
that chorus says. Cause you are my champion. Giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every battle you I am who you say. Jesus, our conqueror, our mighty conqueror, we worship you, we bless you, we lift up our hands to you, our lives, our voices, and we worship you. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. We worship you. Wondrous Lord, we worship you. Mm. Hallelujah. 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 We worship, we worship, we worship, we worship, we worship the name of Jesus. We worship, we worship, we worship, we worship him, we worship you, mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. <laughs> hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Wonderful Lord. <laughs> we worship, we worship. We worship, we worship. Wonderful Lord, wonderful Lord, hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. How vast, how immeasurable, O oh Lord, is your great love for us. May we know it. May we experience it. May we live it. <laughs> for God so loved the world, he gave his son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved us, this little planet, and man 
in this, now we've learned it's not just it doesn't seem one universe, but that there are possibly many universes. They're finding out so much through this uh, web telescope. Ooh. Wish we were related. <laughs> the universe is still expanding. God said, however long ago, let there be light. And that word is still expanding and creating universes. And we can't even measure our universe, let alone, they think in these black holes now, there are actually other universes in those black holes. And yet God loved us so much, he sent his son. The greatness of your love, O oh Lord, the vastness of your love, our words, the finest English word that would exist to describe who you are. Oh, Lord, it doesn't even scratch the surface. Thank you for the Holy Ghost who helps us to speak a heavenly language to you that might better describe who you are, who you are to us, and our gratefulness unto you, Lord, for loving us and for sending Jesus. Reveal your love to us. That we would know it, the height and length and the breadth and the depth of the love of God. Hallelujah. We worship you. We worship you. We thank you. We thank you. We honor you. We reverence you. Thank you that we can say unto you, Abba, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for the word of God we will hear. We purpose, Lord, to have listening ears and attentive hearts. And that we would not just be hearers of that word, O oh Lord, but doers of it to produce fruit in our lives that would be unto the glory and the praise of God. Hallelujah. If you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, before you're seated, why don't you uh, find several people around you and greet them. If you don't know their name, maybe introduce yourself to them. We're going to dismiss right now the children to Kids Church. Kids, you can line up at the back door. And you will be dismissed to your class. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're extend a welcome to those of you who are worshiping with us through Facebook and YouTube today. Amen. Whether it's now or later, we know you're going to be blessed. We expect the Lord to meet with us. He already has. Amen. Thank the Lord. Amen. Thank the Lord.
Well, we have a few announcements to let you know about today. Tomorrow night, men, is the third Monday of the month, and so the men's ministry will be meeting here at the church. They will be gathering at 6.30 p.m., and the meeting will start at 7 p.m. Correct, Pastor Chip? We have just kind of an ongoing joke between the men's ministry and the women's ministry. So if you don't know what that is or you haven't been here when we're joking, well, then Pastor Chip will explain it to you. Amen. Hallelujah. And then, ladies, this week, we have our Bible study here at the church at 7 o'clock. We have better food than the guys. I don't even want to repeat what they eat. I, I can't even repeat it. I can't even tell you what it is. Do you want to beg me? Who wants to beg me? And I'll tell you. Say, Georgine wants to say, tell us, tell us. Is it okay, Pastor Chip? Okay. Should I, Jessica? All right, here goes. Oh, that's just hard for me. Day-old cookies from Ralph's. That's the difference between men supplying the refreshments versus women supplying the refreshments. Women have a charcuterie. Men have day-old cookies for Ralph's. I will never say that again. It's embarrassing. <laughs> but they're happy. He tells me they're happy. So, you know, men are easy. Like they used to say, men are Volkswagens and women are Jaguars in describing our differences. So I guess the food at the events... Proves that out. Uh, ladies, we start at 7, but we gather at 7, and we don't know exactly when we start. We just wait until the ladies are talked out. So anyway, but we go from 7 till 9, so we don't, we don't keep you too late. Amen. Uh, next Sunday evening, you don't want to miss, we're going to have a night of worship at 6 o'clock. And we expect a wonderful time in the presence of God that night. So be sure to join us. We don't do these real often. We do them when the Holy Spirit directs us to do them. We don't just have it like on a regular time that we do it at a regular time. We do it when we feel directed to do it. So be sure to join us that, that evening for a night of worship, uh, worship on September the 25th. And then I just want to... Um, tell you about two books. We have talked about this, and we have been out of this book. I didn't, we didn't realize. But we talked about this a few weeks ago, Tongues Beyond the Upper Room. And we have some more in stock now. This is just a, a great kind of a reference book about everything regarding speaking in tongues, the benefits of it, how to receive it, what it will do to help your Christian life. And so whether you uh, are just recently filled with the Holy Spirit or if you've been filled with the Spirit for many years, I promise you there will be information in here from the Word of God that will help you. And um, every, every believer should read that book. And, um, you know, our prayer life, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, Pentecostals or Spirit-filled people, they base a lot of things, and sort of known, known for it, they base a lot of things on experience. But 
we are to base our lives on the word of God. And why we speak in tongues is based on the word of God. And the truth of it is based on the word of God, not on a feeling, uh, not on experience. All those, those things are fine, but it's not based on that. So we encourage you to get that book. We have some more in there in the, uh, in the bookstore. And then I just recently started reading this book, and sometimes I read portions of it to my husband as we read in the morning. He, I have to, I say every once in a while, can I, can I read this to you? And he very graciously will say, sure. And um, so he's just very gracious and he lets me read to him. Anyway, this is called End Times Made Easy. As a book, a friend of ours of over 40 years, he wrote it. He um, speaks on end times. Joe has uh, ministered at our church throughout the years uh, on several occasions. And um, this is such a good book. We've read different books, but this is what I like about it is it's easy to read. I am really into easy to read books, but it's got great facts. And so um, one thing I'm just going to mention that is the uh, first or second chapter, he has over 75 uh, prophecies that have that are that have been fulfilled or even recently fulfilled. And I'm going to tell you about one of them. He, he gives a scripture, but I also did this. I went and I looked up news articles from reputable sources. A lot of them were uh, Jewish, uh, you know, from uh, Jewish websites or uh, uh, newspapers from Israel. And I Googled it and I looked it up and I read more extensively on some of these prophecies that he listed that have recently been fulfilled. So um, um, uh, one of them... Uh, and, you know, many of you may have heard this, but um, I only recently heard this, I think, within the last year. And that is uh, w uh, when uh, the Jews, this is going to be, this is going <laughs> to be kind of at the time, uh, like right before Jesus comes back. Uh, they're going to be worshiping again in their temple. And they have to have to uh, do sacrifices, they have to have a red heifer. That's a red cow uh, for those who aren't from farms. They had to have a, a red cow. Well, the Jews only came back to Israel since 1948. But even since 1948, there was never a red heifer born in Israel. However, within the last few years, they have, and it has to be a special kind of red heifer because this this cow is used in sacrifices. And so uh, the, the Jews, the rabbis, uh, and these guys, my husband can clean up after me if he wants because he says it much better than me. But anyway, uh, uh, they are preparing and making things ready for uh, their ability to uh, build. Everything is ready for the, the temple to be rebuilt and to make sacrifice in that temple. These red heifers have only appeared in the last few years. And you think about it, Israel's been there since 1948. Never. And there's many things, there, and they, he'll show you the, the, uh, the Bible prophecy about that. There are a lot of little prophecies in the Bible. I didn't even know about them. And he, um, he, he lists them. Pastor Mike has referred to numerous of them. But this book gives over 75 of those prophecies. And many of them are coming to pass 
just in recent times. So it's very exciting. The book is going to be um, uh, uplifting to you. It's going to be encouraging to you. Um, it's, it's, it's exciting. So I highly recommend that you get it. And, and most of all, it's easy to read, easy to follow. So it's back in the bookstore as well. Anyway, praise the Lord. We're going to give you an opportunity to give this morning. Uh, if you don't have an offering envelope in front of you and you need one, you can lift your hand and the ushers will serve you and give you one. Or you can also give electronically and you can see how to do that on the screens above us. And let's pray. Bless the Lord. Lord, our hearts are expectant, our hearts are joyful, and we are grateful to you that you take care of us, you provide for us, you speak to us, you are with us. We honor you today with the first fruits, with our tithes and offerings to honor you and to worship you, to thank you. We thank you that you've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Do you provide in abundance for our church family? Open doors, Lord, for them. Great provision for them, Father. And we speak protection over our homes. We speak peace over our homes and in the lives of those of our church family. We worship you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Why don't you join us for this last song once you've been given the opportunity to give.
Amen. Father, we bless your name. We exalt you as the most high God, the creator of heaven and earth, and the deliverer from our enemies. We thank you, Lord, for opening the eyes of our understanding, giving us listening ears and a heart to worship you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for direction and for utterance. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul identifies the things that the Holy Spirit is revealing to him about the last days. It starts off like this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And this word perilous means uh, mostly translated uh, dangerous. But the root words from the Greek mean strength reducing. And then he talks about different characteristics or different behaviors of mankind in the last days. He talks about behaviors and he talks about attitudes that bring about these behaviors. Now, folks, if you read the list... I don't want to do it this morning because I don't want to get bogged down in, in the things that it says. But if you read the list of behaviors and wrong attitudes that lead to these behaviors, it's not anything new. It's not anything that hasn't been and isn't consistent with mankind. Men are waxing worse and worse, as the Scripture tells us. And so when Paul talks about these perilous times, these strength-reducing times, and attaches it to the behaviors that are listed, we can see clearly that the devil is attempting to break you down and to steal your strength, or reduce your strength at least, by the actions and the attitude of the world. But now, folks, who decides whether or not that, that takes place? Who decides whether or not your strength is increased or decreased in the last days or any other time? Isn't that in, in your purview? Isn't that a part of the authority that you have been given by the work of Jesus? So here where it says in the last days perilous times or strength reducing times shall come, we don't have to reduce or to be reduced in strength. We don't have to lose strength. Just because the Bible says this is what's going to happen, it's the same thing that the devil's been trying to do from the beginning, isn't it? It may be because of the lateness of the hour, so to speak, the closer we are to the return of Jesus, that the actions and activities of mankind influenced by the devil himself shall increase but that doesn't have to affect us we can be stronger rather than weaker we can grow in strength rather than have our strength reduced and it all comes down to one thing and that is our attitude toward the word turn with me to Mark chapter 4 Jesus in his teaching in parables gave us some outstanding 
information and principles to be strong in the Lord and to increase in, his, in the strength provided by the Word. And it's all predicated, again, on our attitude toward the Word of God, letting the Word of God have first place in our life. Jesus tells the parable of the sower sowing the Word, and the disciples came to him afterwards and asked him about it, asked him to explain it to them. And so he said to them in Mark chapter 4, verse 11, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without all these things are done in parables. I want you to notice there's a mystery to the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of God, Jesus defined that when he gave, him, uh, gave his disciples the Lord's Prayer, was called the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. But he, de he defined it, and it's the only place really that the Bible defines specifically what the kingdom of God is. Jesus said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. So it hadn't come yet when he gave them this prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is the will of God being done on the earth just like it is in heaven. Now of all the things throughout the years, we're in our 36th year of ministry at this, at this church. There are things that people request and ask questions about over the years. But one of the things that I've never been asked a question about is about heaven. Because everybody knows what heaven is. Everybody knows that heaven is a place that's run by God. It's not inhabited by the devil or any of the devil's people. It's where the will of God is carried out without opposition, without fail. It's where God reigns. But folks, God made the earth to be the same way. When God made the earth in six days and on the seventh day rested and said that it was very good, he literally said that it was perfect. Now, how could God design or create something that wasn't perfect? It is in God's nature to carry out things so in such a manner that everything he does is perfect and it's always perfect. He gave the authority to man to keep it in that pristine condition, that perfect state, and man failed. And as a result, the things that God created were changed and tainted by sin. So here Jesus is telling the disciples that there's a mystery, an unknown factor for the will of God to be done on the earth just like it is in heaven. He goes on to say, give the purpose for these parables. Unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Now that word without obviously re references the unsaved. But I would submit to you as well that there's a lot of people in the church a lot of people in the body of Christ that are operating as those that are without. By that, I mean there are a lot of people that are born again in the family of God. Their eternal, uh, eternal condition is secured. 
that don't use the word of God or don't allow the word of God to be first place in any other part of their life other than what they call salvation. The reason I say it that way is because salvation is an encompassing term that includes all of God's plans and purposes. It includes the fullness of his will and the victory of the cross that was designed for and purchased for mankind. But you know as well as I do that there are a lot of Christians that aren't really looking for God to do anything for them now that they're saved, unless it's just to answer a miracle prayer from, uh, from time to time. But they exhibit no interest and pursue no course of action for the Word of God to live on on the inside of them other than just the forgiveness of sins. So he said to them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that, the, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Folks, God's not in the fast food business when it comes to the Word of God. God does not set forth a, a cause or a way or a manner that our Christian lives should be easy, instant results, but rather he's interested in our continuing research into the Word of God so that we grow in the knowledge of him in the knowledge of his goodness and his character and his nature rather than just getting quick fixes to the problems we find ourselves in, involved in in this life. God will meet anybody that opens their heart to him. But most of the church world, I think we can say without any way of, of discrediting it. Most Christians are just looking for quick and easy answers to the prayers that they pray rather than seek to be disciples who build their lives on the Word. So in Jesus telling them about the parables, he continues on in verse 13, and he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? He's saying the mystery of the kingdom of God that this parable reveals is the baseline or the principle for understanding every parable that there is. Now we know that this parable covers the basic principle of putting the word of God first place in your life. So the principle of putting the word first is the very principle that will unlock and reveal all other parables. Jesus was the word made flesh. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's word. So he said unto them, know you not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? The sower soweth the word. He's talking about the results 
We're going to talk about the results of speaking the Word of God into your life. It's the way that you get saved. The Bible says that Jesus died for our sins and we are to confess him as our Lord in order to enter into the kingdom of God, enter into the family of God. But folks, you realize, or you should realize, that when you hear the gospel of Jesus preached, when anybody hears the gospel of Jesus preached, and they accept it in their heart, and then they act on it, the action that is required for them to come into the family of God is to confess something that is not and confess it into being. When we confess Jesus as the Lord of our lives, he's not yet been made the Lord of our lives. And it's by the confession of our mouths that salvation comes. The confession of salvation or the confession unto salvation is made before the reality of the life of God comes unto us. So we see even in the simple act of coming into the family of God that there's a creative work that takes place because we speak what God's word says we should say. So the sower sows the word means he speaks the word of God into his own life. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Here's somebody that's so disinterested in the truth of the word of God, the truth of God's word, which is the most powerful force in the universe, has no effect on the human spirit. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So the stony ground are the people that fail to speak, continue to speak the truth of the word of God so that the promise of God can become a reality in their life. And this stony ground is also a people who doesn't realize the work of the enemy or the way the enemy works. And then when affliction or trouble or persecution arises for the word's sake, that means the devil brings persecution and affliction to us for the purpose of trying to get us to let go of the word that we've spoken the promise of God that is tendered to us, immediately they are offended. Now, folks, we need to know something and keep something in mind, and that is if you're expecting to grow in the Word of God without trouble arising or people being against you, you might as well just give up now. It's the way the devil works. And he knows that there's a certain type of individual, saved or unsaved again, that will turn loose 
meaning will stop speaking the word of God into their own hearts, their own lives, in order to avoid trouble or people being against them. It tells us about another person, a group of people. These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So we see then that the devil brings the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things for the purpose of choking out the truth of the word of God. This type of ground, these types of people are too busy to continue in the word. Now, folks, remember that Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 8, it's about verse 32. He had just preached to a group of people that included the priesthood. And he said to them, there were many of them that believed on him. And then Jesus said to them that believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples? Now, since they already believed on him, that would indicate that they believed that he was the Messiah. But then Jesus made a distinction between those that believed that he was Messiah and those that became disciples. Now, I would remind you folks that the Great Commission is going to all the world and make disciples, not get people converted. In other words, bring them into the family of God with the knowledge of the importance of putting the Word of God first place in their lives so that they will continue in the Word. Jesus said, if you continue in my Word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So the source of truth and the source of deliverance is the Word of God. But only disciples find that out. We've got a lot of people in the body of Christ that have been converted. But for whatever reason, choices made on their own part, they fail to be established in the Word of God. And so the freedom that they read about in the Scripture never becomes a reality to them. Then finally, Jesus gets to the good ground, the ground that produces fruit. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30 and some 60 and some 100 fold. Four types of ground. Only one type produces results. And of that 25%, only one third produces the maximum results that God desires and Jesus paid for it for all of us. Now, if you do the math, one-third of 25% is about eight. So if Jesus is serious in being truthful in the things that he shares, it tells us that only about 8% are going to walk in God's fullness of blessing. We could say it this way, only 8% will speak the word of God into their own lives to such a degree that it produces results. 
8%. I'm glad I'm part of that 8. How about you? One of the things that got me started on this, and I've been thinking about it a lot, is the time that I spent with Brother Hagen. Brother Hagen taught me to know God. And I was privileged to be in close proximity with him and to develop a relationship with him that I learned who God is. I learned the will of God. And I learned the character and the nature of God, not by just hearing sermons, but by watching Brother Hagin live it out in front of my eyes. There's a story in Luke chapter 24 where on the third day, the day of resurrection, two of the disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a city called Emmaus. It's just a couple of miles. didn't take long to get there. But the Bible tells us that they're walking along and discussing the things that they've heard and the events that, as they've taken place. And Jesus joins himself to them, but it says their eyes were, uh, King James says their eyes were holden. That word holden means power. The power of God was on them so that they wouldn't recognize who he was. It doesn't say Jesus changed his appearance. It just says that they were not able to recognize when they saw him because of the power of God that kept them from it. And so Jesus asked them what they were talking about, and they went into a summary saying, well, haven't you heard of all the things that have taken place in Jerusalem here over the last several days? And Jesus says, what things? And then these two start talking about how that the Jews killed Jesus and they were distraught about that because they thought that he was the Messiah. They didn't understand or acknowledge the place of the resurrection in the Messiah's work even after having been with Jesus for three plus years in ministry here on the earth. And they were aware that the tomb was empty they make mention of the fact that, that uh, two of the women went to the sepulcher and found it empty, and the angels appeared to them and told them to go to, their, to, to, the, to the disciples and tell them that Jesus is risen from the dead. Up until that point, nobody's really seen him, according to Luke's gospel, Luke's account. But Jesus answers them when they finish their summary. And he says, shouldn't the Messiah have suffered all these things? And then it tells us that he went through with them, starting with Moses and the prophets. And it says all the prophets. And he reminded them and spoke to them of scriptures that had been fulfilled by Jesus being raised from the dead. Well, by this time, they've made it to Emmaus, 
And Jesus acts like he would go further. But they held him and begged him to stay with them and to eat dinner with them. And Jesus agreed to do so. And as soon as they got it, the dinner meal, Jesus broke the bread and prayed. They recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Now after this, they went back to the disciples and told them all the things that had happened. And the very next thing that the, the, Luke's account relates to us is where Jesus appears to them. And they're all gathered together, everybody except um, Thomas. And he speaks to them and breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Ghost. Now these two disciples made an observation after Jesus had disappeared and they said this they said didn't our hearts burn within us when he was sharing with us about the prophecies and Moses and the prophets didn't our hearts burn within us when he was speaking these things well folks that's the experience I had being around Brother Hagin It used to make me real mad, and I certainly entered into sin in many, many times and instances when I would see published materials um, criticizing Brother Hagin and saying that he was doing things and saying things that he didn't do and didn't say. And so I'm knowing that you're supposed to pray for people that did wrong. And I felt like they had done me wrong when they attacked him. I would pray for them, but I'm not sure God was really hearing my prayer because I was praying that you get hit by a bus or that something would end their lives. How dare they criticize the man that I recognized and experienced that loved God more than any other person I'd ever known. There were a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, but a number of people, I guess it'd be better to say, that had the same experience with Brother Hagin as I did. And some of those people aren't even serving God these days. There were people that were privileged and privy to private times when Brother Hagin would share his heart. When he'd talk about the things that the Lord had impressed him, uh, impressed upon him and called him to do. Those were the times where the, my heart would burn just like these disciples were talking about when Jesus was with them. The Bible says in the last days that a lot of people are going to depart from the faith. I'm sure that that would include people that lose their salvation. But I think more than that, it would include people that just turn back on the truth that they knew.
those that fall into this strength-reducing category. And I don't understand that. I don't mean by that that I don't believe what the Word says. But what I mean is, what could take somebody away from the truth of the Word knowing what I know and seeing what I've seen. But it's certain that things are changing in these last days. People's attitude toward God is certainly changing. Their attitude toward the church is certainly changing. And people are letting themselves be pulled away to become easy targets for the devil. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 through 22, was one of Brother Hagin's favorite scriptures. And of course, it has to do with the, the uh, attitude toward the word of God. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. There's a song, I don't know how recent it is. I'm usually about five years behind in songs because I don't listen to much of Christian radio and that type of thing. But there's a song that I love that talks about Jesus being the center of it all. I have to change it. To sing it right. Because it says things like Jesus be the center of my life. Well, folks, I can't I can't sing that. Because Jesus is already the center of my life. So rather than sing Jesus be the center of my life, I can sing Jesus, you are the center of my life. And the same thing goes with the chorus later on in the song about Jesus be the center of the church. I can't sing that because Jesus is already the center of this church. Now, folks, we've had people really from the beginning of the church set themselves against us and try to do us harm. We have experienced persecution, people speaking against us, people speaking against me, people trying to destroy us from the outside, and we've also had people that were at one time with us that have, just, that have tried to destroy the church from the inside. One of Paul's I, the things on his itemized list of things that he's encountered and dealt with in his ministry. He talks about being in perils of false brethren. We've had that. And we usually just go right on without saying anything about it and just continue to do what God has for us to do. 
But we've had people say that they were going to destroy the church. We've had people say that the church would crumble. But folks, nobody can, can destroy this church. This is a church born by the Spirit of God, not by the will of man. So there's no way somebody's going to destroy this church. You'd have to, but since the church is built on the Word, you'd have to destroy the Word to destroy the church. And those that believe that they're going to watch the church crumble, they better be careful that they're not the ones that do the crumbling. We're right where God wants us to be. We're delighted that you're with us. But even if you stop being with us, we're going to do what we're supposed to do. Because as I said, this church is built by the Spirit of God and not by the will of man. I want you to read with me a couple of stories, sermon illustrations that are given during Jesus' earthly ministry. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now, folks, remember that when Jesus was in his own hometown of Nazareth, first time he made it to his own hometown of Nazareth after being anointed by the Holy Ghost, in the Jordan River when John baptized him. Luke chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6 tell us the story of how that Jesus went to Capernaum, first of all, and had many signs and wonders and instances of healing take place. But he knew, even though he spoke from Isaiah, what we know of as chapter 61 in the synagogue, that said the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and it anointed him to heal the sick. He was not able to heal the sick in his own hometown. Mark 6, 5 says it like this. He marveled at their unbelief. He was, Jesus was not able to do, couldn't do any work in Nazareth, and he marveled at their unbelief. He marveled at the fact that the people would not allow the anointing that was on him, and the Bible tells us he had the Spirit without measure. That means he was equipped with power to heal the, the most critical and worst condition that anybody could possibly imagine. But it wouldn't work. The power of God would not work because they refused to believe. He could there do no mighty work, Mark 6, 5 said. He could there do. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. And he marveled at their unbelief. Well, if unbelief hindered the Word of God made flesh, who was anointed with the fullness of the power of God, 
then unbelief is probably going to hinder you and me too. Here's a place where Jesus marveled at someone's faith. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the Gentiles. But the children of the kingdom, talking about the Jews, shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Now, folks, one of the things that Jesus marveled at escapes many people that are reading the story. The underlying thing, the underlying truth of the centurion's great faith is that he took what he had heard of Jesus personally. We've had a lot of people leave over the last number of years, over this 36 years of the church. We've experienced, and most people that leave don't tell you, but some have. And I can't remember of one of those experiences where the person leaving didn't say something to the effect of, no, it's not personal. We just believe God wants us to do whatever, go wherever, be somewhere, whatever, fulfill their calling, whatever it might be. So I've been hearing for almost half of my life over half of my life. Excuse me a minute while I run the numbers. Yeah, half of my life. That it's not personal. That people taking an attitude toward the Word that leads them away from the where the Word of God is taught. And almost to a person have said it's not personal. Folks, the Word of God is meant to be personal. And one of the things that stands out about the centurion's story is the personal nature that he attaches to the Word of God. He says, speak the Word only and my servant will be healed. He explains why he thinks that. He explains why he got to that position. For I am a man under authority, and I have soldiers under me, and they obey what I say. Well, he must believe that Jesus has authority over sickness and disease. That would certainly come with what most people had heard about Jesus up to this point. So he says, those that are under my authority obey what I tell them to do. And since sickness and disease is under your authority as evidenced by the power of God healing and delivering countless people up until that point in time. It's still early in his ministry, but Jesus told the people at Nazareth about the miracles and things that had been done in Capernaum. 
Here he is in Capernaum where these things have been taking place or things that have occurred. And so the centurion applies it to himself. Not because he's good. Not even because he's a Jew. He's not. But remember the blessing of Abraham is that God will bless those that bless you. This centurion is responsible in great deal to to a great deal for the synagogue in Capernaum being built. And so for that reason he would have every expectation which I'm sure people have told him up to this point that God's favor would be upon him even as if he was a Jew. Whether he relies on that, we don't know. It could be that it was a part of his makeup. It could be that it was part of what he put his confidence in where Jesus was concerned or not. But Jesus doesn't hesitate in one way whatsoever. Jesus honors his faith and heals his servant. Now turn back with me to Mark chapter 5. Verse 25, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus came in the press behind and touched his garment. Now Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to minister healing and life to his daughter. But it says when she had heard of Jesus, we don't know what she heard of Jesus other than what she acted on. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So she comes in the press behind and touches Jesus' garment. So she must have been, she must have heard of people that had been healed either by touching his clothes or healed by touch. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Notice she heard of Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And then she began to say, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Now this word she said, or this phrase she said, is a continuous action. So it's not like she just said it once, and that was it. And remember in Mark chapter 4, Jesus talking about the parable of the sower sowing the word. Both the stony ground and the thorny ground had their confession choked out by the work of the enemy. So she began to say, Folks, the first time the word of God is spoken to your heart, whether it's by you or whether it's by somebody else, once it's accepted and acknowledged, that's the beginning point. That's where the seed is planted. But the seed has to be watered. 
Now, how do you water the seed the same way you planted it? By speaking what God's word says. By saying and declaring the promise that you found in his word. And it takes a while for that word to get down on the inside of you. So she began to say, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. We don't know how long she said that. We don't know what period of time there was between the time she heard of Jesus healing the sick and when she began to say, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. But it works. She got what she said. She felt in her body verse 29 and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague she felt the healing power of God affect her body in some way whatsoever it'd be easy to say that she felt the healing power go into her but we really don't know that to be specific she may have just felt the, the, um, the result of the healing power of God go into her but either way she felt something after she believed she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing that virtue, this word virtue is the word power, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? Jesus has got a crowd jostling around him. Jesus is in the center of the crowd the disciples are in, on, uh, in, in pretty much as, uh, encircles him as he's walking and people are reaching between the disciples trying to get to Jesus trying to touch him but nobody else in that crowd that touched him got any results the disciples call it a multitude I'm not sure how big that is but it sounds pretty big. And where it says they were thronging him, it means they're pushing over one another to try to touch him or to get to touch him. And apparently a lot of people are successful in touching him because when Jesus asked who touched him, the disciples said there'd be no way to find just one person that did it. So apparently a lot of people are pushing through to make contact with him. But nobody else got anything. Only the woman with the issue of blood. Why is that? Because she's the only one that touched him in faith. She's the only one that took what she heard of Jesus, the healing power of Jesus and the miracle works that it was producing. She's the only one that took it personal. Everybody else wants the same things that she wants. Some healing or some blessing of some type. But think about this, folks. The physical contact of Jesus, the Son of God, did not produce the results, healing results or delivery results, deliverance results in anybody else in that crowd but this one woman. So 
So his disciples said, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. One woman in a hopeless condition, according to the doctors at least, takes the word of God that she's heard about Jesus, the reputation of Jesus healing the sick, she takes it personal. She takes it personal. And it produces miracle results for her. Finally, I want you to look with me to Matthew chapter 15. This is the all-time hall of faith. Hall of faith of faith. Hall of fame of faith. Action that we see in Jesus' ministry. Verse 21, then Jesus went thence and departed unto the coast of Tyre and Sidon. This is outside the boundary of Judea. Of Judea. This is not Jewish territory. It's Gentile territory. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. She won't leave. But he answered and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. She hadn't been offended yet. There's something about her that's pushing through the offense, or the opportunity to be offended at least, and to rely on the goodness of Jesus the Son of God. Then came she and, and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Sounds like another opportunity to be offended. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. What is it that made this woman believe that Jesus would cross racial boundaries when his ministry was declared openly to be to the Jews and not to the Gentiles? What was it that caused this woman to receive the miracle results of healing for her daughter. I'm not sure that we can attach a certain line of reasoning to her from what the Scripture says. But folks, judging from what we say and things that we know, we know that, the, that healing and uh, that sickness and disease is not from God. 
It wasn't in the part. It wasn't in the earth that Jesus, that uh, God created before the fall of man. Did she know that? Hard to say. But somehow or another, she developed the belief that the character and the nature of God in defeating sickness and disease and delivering those that needed help was greater than the boundary of his ministry to the Gentiles as it had been, uh, ministry to the Jews as it had been declared. She's the ultimate case of taking it personal. Now, folks, there's a scripture, Proverbs chapter 26, I think it's about verse 3. It says, the curse causeless will not come. The curse causeless will not come. Now, the devil wants to try to make that personal. He wants to try to tell you or tell me that there's some sin or some opening in our lives that allows the devil to bring trouble into our lives. And a lot of people take that. A lot of people accept that. And as a result, it hinders their faith or destroys their faith And they fail to receive the promise of God's blessing. But do you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about his own situation where he was caught up into heaven, the third heaven, and saw and heard things that were impossible for him to describe. King James says, unlawful to utter. But it doesn't mean that God forbade him from telling anybody. It just simply means he didn't have any frame of reference to compare things to. And then he goes further and he says, And because of the abundance of the revelation that was given unto him, a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh, to buffet him. That word buffet means to deliver blow after blow. It says... Recognizing that it was the devil's influence over people that were bringing persecution against him. And so it says that he prayed three times for this to be taken away from him. Now, folks, every time I read or refer to this story, it amazes me that he prayed three times about it. Concerning difficulties and trouble that the devil brings into our lives most Christians I know pray three times a minute asking God to do something about it but here Paul having endured persecution in city after city after city that he goes to
having identified that it was the devil's work in the people that are bringing trouble against him, he prays about this three whole times. If I might suggest, there's a big difference in Paul's prayer life and ours. But Jesus answers him and says, my grace is sufficient for thee. In other words, Jesus is saying, you haven't been redeemed from persecution. You've been redeemed from sickness and disease. But Jesus said, and Paul quoted it after him, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. So Paul was praying to be redeemed or delivered from something that Jesus didn't pay the price for. See, if Jesus had paid the price for persecution, then we, through our prayers and our faith, could stop persecution from being. Paul, recognizing what Jesus is saying, turned it around and said, Therefore, I will rejoice in persecutions and infirmities distresses and so forth that the power of Christ might rest upon me folks there's a reason why things are the way they are now here we are 36 plus years operating as a church and we've been preaching from the beginning or teaching from the beginning that God's word is true and that heaven and earth will pass away but his word will never fail no matter how you feel no matter what things look like and no matter how long things have been why would it seem strange to us since that is the backbone, the foundation of the truth that we preach, why would we be amazed or astonished at having to live out and walk through the same things that we preach to others? Folks, I am healed and delivered by the stripes of Jesus, no matter how long it takes no matter how I feel about it. And I'll have to be honest with you, I've had some serious conversations with the Lord about the length of time that things have taken place. And every time the Lord speaks to my heart a scripture over and over and over again, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So we shouldn't faint 
in the day of adversity or in any other time. But in fact, but instead, we should rely on the truth of his word. Now I have to say, I know that Jesus is coming soon. And so I'd really like to be able to live for a while without the symptoms and the circumstances of the things that we've endured for so long. I'm not sure how that plays together, but I know this. I know that in January of 2020, the Lord gave me a vision. It was an open vision. My eyes were wide open. I was praying, but we were in, Beth and I were in a hotel room having gone to a series of meetings in Temecula. And this vision, in this vision, I saw my healing. Or I should say I saw myself healed. And I experienced in the vision what Peter described as joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, I didn't see myself caught up in the rapture, which as Jesus came back now at this moment, I would receive a redeemed body that would be free from what the doctors call Parkinson. And the reason I say that, what the doctors call Parkinson, is because I don't think they know what it is. But it's one of those conditions that whatever happens, they can say, well, yeah, that sometimes that accompanies Parkinson. I found it to be a catch-all sickness or disease that the medical doctors, medical science, just groups everything into one category. Well, in this vision, I didn't see myself caught up in the rapture. I saw myself still on the earth experiencing joy unspeakable and full of glory because of the power of God that set me free. Therefore, I'm required to do the same thing that you would be, and that is to believe that I received when I prayed. So I believe I received my healing. I believe I received deliverance. I believe I received the abundance of Joy unspeakable and full of glory, just like he showed me. There is some purpose in this, folks. And by that, I don't mean that God brought this on me, because he didn't. But there is some purpose for the way that this has gone, for the time that it's gone. Could it be that this is an experience that will enable us to manifest the glory of God in the last days to bring about our part of the last day harvest, the precious fruit of the earth. That seems to make the most sense to me, but that's my reasoning and not God's. So by that, that could be, but don't know for sure that it is. 
But one thing I know for sure, and one thing that I will preach to the last day, the last breath I have here on the earth, and that is God's word is true, and it can never fail. It can never fail for you. It can never fail for me. God's word is truth. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We exalt you. We exalt the name of Jesus. And Father, even though there are some uncomfortable things that we're experiencing, difficulties in our lives, affliction and such, we count it all joy to stand on your word. I thank you, Father, for the privilege that you've given me to walk out your word no matter the circumstances, no matter what we feel. Our trust is in you, Lord, and we stand on your word. Heaven and earth will pass away before your word fails. And since we're standing on your word and your word cannot fail, we know that we can't go down. We love you, Father. We thank you for your provision for your people in these last days. We thank you for the rain, your presence, and manifestation of your power and outpourings of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, say it with me. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you.